The Lord be with you. And also with you. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. At that very time, there were some present who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, Do you think that because of these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and I still find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Be seated. So we in American society have a bit of a toxic or at best dysfunctional relationship with um, remorse and, grat and uh, apology. Uh, we're not very good at saying we're sorry um, at all and terrible when it comes to discussing failures. Uh, I think that for me... So much of that is based in that we have a culture that really prides perfection. And it has to be a perfection that comes naturally and effortlessly. That's, that's the pinnacle, right? Like that's the ultimate, is that you are perfect, you are marvelous, and you didn't have to do really that much to get there. You know? Case in point, we have a very high, unrealistic uh, standard for beauty in the United States, right? Um, and, it, and it's so funny because we say that beauty is this very specific thing that's in this narrow box, and you have to get there. You need to be, to be beautiful, you should be in that category, right? You should fit in that particular way of looking. Um, but it has to come naturally. It has to be effortless because if someone has had plastic surgery, what happens? <gasps> but you know she had plastic surgery. Well, of course she did. It cracks me up whenever a celebrity is busted for having plastic surgery. Well, you told them they have to look a certain way. They have to be perfect. That doesn't happen without a little nip and tuck, my friends. You know, most people do not get there without some surgical assistance. But that becomes the scandal. How embarrassing, 
right? Similarly, with our athletes, you know, we put such a premium on natural ability um, that we don't sometimes even want to talk too much about how hard athletes actually have to work to hit that level of ability. Um, but we might do that, like we're, we're willing to sometimes say, okay, well, they work really hard to get here. That person worked really hard to get here. Well, we'll say it's okay to, to talk about the amount of effort, but as long as we don't talk about the failures, that somehow that effort also has to be, have been done perfectly. That that effort had to have come with zero failures. They just worked out really hard. They, they trained really hard, but there were no failures in the process. It was just one success after another because they worked so hard. To sort of highlight the extent to which we take this obsession, um, Gatorade about eight months ago did a, a commercial that highlighted failures. It was several very prestigious athletes talking about their failures and how important their failures were in getting them where, where they were. Now, that highlights how dysfunctional our relationship is with um, perfection and lack of apology, which we'll get to, because it went viral. It was radical. Gatorade talked about a taboo subject, failure. Oh, how could they? How could they? Because of that, we're not very good at saying I'm sorry in the United States. Because to say I'm sorry means I've made a mistake. Whether intentionally or not, whether we did it maliciously or not, you know, it doesn't matter. We, it's, that means taking responsibility for something we might have screwed up on, and that's not good because that means you failed, and we can't accept failure. We can't accept that we screwed up, and so don't say, whatever you do, don't say you're sorry. Moreover, you might get sued. That's how bad it is. My favorite apologies. Well, maybe, I guess, yes, but. <laughs> Working with kids, I hear that one a lot. Or this one, my favorite. Fine, sorry. Not even looking at the person, right? Fine, sorry. In other words, just, just get it done. Just rip off the Band-Aid. Can we just move on? That, there's zero responsibility in that. That's performing a ritual with zero theology behind it, right? That is an empty ritual. This is why we have Lent, people. <laughs> this is why in the life of the church, we spend a whole season talking about repentance. Because it is not about saying, fine, sorry. That is not what we do in the season. I talked to, to this a little bit last week, and I'm picking back up on the theme this week because it is so important. I love the honesty in the life of the church. If you want to look, you don't have to, I'll read it to you, but if you want to, on page 304 of the Book of Common Prayer, which is the red book, we have our baptismal covenant. And in that baptismal covenant, we say the Apostles' Creed, which is the historic statement of faith at the time of baptism, but then we also have five questions that we ask of one another. And the second one hits to the honesty and the importance of the honesty in this so well. I love it, all right? Will you persevere in resisting evil? Of course I will, because I'm perfect. And whenever you fall into sin, did you catch that one? Not if. Whenever you fall into sin, repent and return to the Lord. Not if. 
because we're all going to mess up and do it with gusto. And it's going to happen within minutes of us professing our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed or again in the baptismal covenant. It's going to happen within an hour of us leaving the communion rail, if we're lucky. <laughs> Whenever we fall into sin, of course we are because we're human. We make mistakes. So what does it mean to have a whole season dedicated to owning those mistakes? It's to teach us how to do that, especially in a culture that tells us, don't you dare. Don't you dare admit you did something wrong because that is even worse. Moses when he's in the desert, sees a burning bush that isn't consumed. Now, I don't know, we can all think that we would just kind of, oh, that's fascinating, let's stop and look. I, probably most of us would run the opposite direction. That's terrifying, it's on fire, there's not a lot of water resources in the desert. We don't want something else to catch fire, most especially ourselves. But Moses is walking along, he is on his path. He has, on the journey, on the road, he has chosen. He's got in his mind the job he's supposed to be doing that day that serves him. And he is walking in that way when he sees the bush. And he stops and deviates from his path to turn and look at the bush, to turn and see what this is about. Oh, interesting. It is not until he deviates from his path and turns his attention to God that God speaks to him. That's important. God has caught his attention, and now he wants to see if Moses is going to respond. God does not talk to Moses until Moses turns, leaves his path to turn and face the Lord. This is repentance, y'all. This is true apology. This is taking responsibility for our failures and our mistakes so that we can learn from them. And the process of repentance gives us a new vision for how to read the world. All right? Case in point, our passage from the gospel for today. In the first half, if we only live in the world of shame and fear of failure and inability to ask for forgiveness... If we live in that world, then we make assumptions about who God is and what God wants of us. Most often, those are detrimental, detrimental assumptions to ourselves. That it's, most of those assumptions are born out of bad theology that hurt us and can heap even more shame upon ourselves. For instance, if we read this passage with sort of that perspective, option one, if you will, we would read the, only that first half of the passage, right? Uh, he's talking about the Galileans. Do you think they suffered and they were worse sinners than you? No. That's important. We all make mistakes, every single one of us. No one way worse than the other. We all are guilty of them, right? And so Jesus is calling on them to repent or you all will perish. Now, if we just leave it at that, that sounds like a vengeful God that's just waiting to get us. You better say you're sorry, or it is hell to pay, quite literally in this case. <laughs> if we stop with that assumption 
and our programming to not apologize, to not take responsibility, to just say, fine, sorry, let's just get it over with. Okay, fine, sorry. Don't make me suffer like everybody else did. Fine. That's not the point because Jesus continues. This is where the new vision comes through repentance and being willing to turn, divert from our path and face God gives us a deeper understanding because think of the difference. Why do we make children face the person to whom they're apologizing? Because then they see that person. They have to understand how they have hurt that person. They have to look in that person's eyes and say, I really am sorry. It's recognizing the humanity, the personhood, right? That's why we make them look at one another and why we should. We're not so great at it, adults. Don't get on your high horse. It's why we look at one another and sit down and say, I'm, I am so sorry. I, I messed up and I, I need to take responsibility for that. Because then we see the other person and come to understand. So when we deviate from our path and turn and face God and take responsibility for how we've made mistakes, because we're human, we come to a deeper understanding of God because we're actually facing God. We're no longer facing our own path. And through that facing of God, we come to a deeper understanding, which allows us to embrace the second part of our reading. The gardener's upset because for three years the fig tree has done nada, nothing. And the gardener, who is the vengeful image of God, just tear it down. I've given it a chance. But the gardener says, I guess the owner said, the vineyard owner says that. The gardener then says what? Wait, wait, wait. Don't you see? It's got bad soil around it. It's dried out. It just needs some love. This is the God of second chances. This is the God that we see when we stop and turn and look and actually engage God in the process of repentance. We have a God of second chances. We don't have a God that's waiting to punish us and strike us down and make us feel ashamed for who we are. We have a God that says, great, thank you, Jesus. You just accepted responsibility. Now let's do some work together. Let me help you be your gardener and let's tend your soil. You have taken responsibility. You have owned your mistakes. Wonderful. That's called growth. That's not called failure as we understand it. By the way, the cross was the biggest failure in all the history of the world. So if that is not failure truly, then neither are we and neither are mistakes. It's called growth and maturity and responsibility. And Jesus says, wonderful. You've turned and faced me now. Can we all just take a deep breath? Right? Now we can do the hard work of aerating the soil around your roots, of making sure you are watered properly, to making sure that you actually get some fertilizer on your roots. You need to be fed, and you haven't done that for way too long because you've been too busy on your path. You have forgotten to stop and turn and look and listen. This is the work of repentance. This is why we do this. It's not to beat ourselves up, as I said last week. It's to invite God into the process of tending our much, much uh, dried out and beaten up and tortured roots that we have neglected for so long. But it only happens when we stop and say, I, I think I might have gotten this one wrong. 
I think I might have made a mistake here. And I think just maybe, if I take responsibility for it, I might be able to do better next time. When our kids make mistakes, when we make mistakes, our conversation in our family is, yes, tell me you're sorry. Tell me you're sorry. But then show me. Show me you've changed. Show me you've learned from that process, right? You can apologize to me all you want. That's wonderful. That's the first step. The next step is cultivating new paths, new behaviors, feeding your roots so that then you show me, show me that you've been transformed by that experience. We got seven more weeks in Lent, my friends. Seven more weeks. Let's make them good weeks. Let's not be ashamed of who we are in our failures as much as our successes and take the opportunity to stop, to turn, and to tend our soil. Amen. Amen.